It's a bittersweet chimpanzee that I bought. I don't know. I don't know the rest of the words. I just lost it. I gotta say, I'm not kidding around. I did. I bought a chip. No, you didn't. I did. I did. You um, bought a little monkey man? Yeah, I haven't gotten him yet. Uh, he's It's like an eight-week shipping thing. Uh, it's coming from Borneo, but uh, uh, it's I'm super excited for it. Uh, how I, big? Oh, I, you got to get him small because you got to break him like a horse. Um, you know, because they, they're mischievous little beasts. And so, I mean, so my yeah. deal is a lot of organ grinder monkeys, but- Chimps playing drums, I think, is an untapped market that I could make a lot of passive income. Because I've been reading about this passive income thing. And what you do is you make money while you're not working. Mm. And you have someone else work. Chimpanzee. That's not... No, that's not passive income. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And you can also teach... You can teach simians of any variety to drop ship, too. Um, Drop chimp. Yeah. Do you... Uh, Mail question, chip. question, mm-hmm. drums, yeah. the drum set that you're going to teach him to play. Yeah. Yeah. Will it be that kind that is like the one, one man orchestra set? So he's playing oh, like all the instruments at once. His, his back's too bad for that. Although I'll, I'll probably put him on the rack a couple times and try to get him straighter. But chimps have, this is the reason they could never overcome people because Cro-Mags never wanted to fuck them because they all look like hunchbacks. They're like, Ugh. I don't think. What? Uh, maybe I don't know what a chimpanzee looks like. They're like little men with fucked up backs, right? Oh my god. Admit scoliosis is fake. <laughs> Pull the trigger. <laughs> Admit scoliosis is fake. I like that this is like your new character, the guy who literally thinks that scoliosis is fake. Scoliosis, there's, I've never seen proof that scoliosis is They told me I had it and look at me. You're, you, you, yeah, you're looking great. <laughs> They're trying to make hunchbacks out of us, baby. What is scoliosis? That's where your back's fucked up? Yeah, it's all curvy-worthy. Can you get... Oxy for that? It's wompy wheels of the back. Remember when I told you about wompy wheels? You did in our in our unreleased episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of, if uh, to the people listening, Google wompy wheels. Have fun with that one. Yeah, I, I don't think Tesla's doing too. I, I told you this yesterday. I think I think off air. I mean, none of it was aired. But uh, there's a guy near my house who I've been walking past the past like I haven't walked outside today, but past, the three days before this, who's just been sitting in this Tesla watching TV in the middle of the afternoon. There's a full TV in there. Maybe he's trying to get away from his kids. Or his wife. <laughs> Maybe he lives there. That's Well, I thought that at first, but he didn't have enough stuff in there. Mm. You got to have the backseat packed. Yeah. Anyways, I'm Brace. I live in a Tesla. <laughs> My name is Liz. Hello. And we are joined, of course, by Young Chomsky, who lives in an off-brand Chinese electric vehicle and is producing the record. Excuse me, not the record. The podcast from there. Hello, I can't tell if he was Truman. yawning or, or glaring at me. Yes, welcome to True. Well, this has been a bumpy ride already. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's about to get a lot bumpier. You know what I read today, by the way? No. Real quick before we get into this uh-huh. episode. Uh, someone posted a job listing for a producer for a video show about podcasts. Wait. A video, like a, it's like a YouTube thing about podcasts? I saw no. you post that, but I didn't look at it. What? What is it? You never read anything in the group chat. No, I'm reading poetry in real life. My favorite thing is when you don't read anything in the group chat, and then like four hours later, you text us things that we've already sent you in the group chat. I hate. I just want to be clear here. I I don't want to dwell on the group chat thing too long. I fucking despise group chat. I don't even like one-on-one chats. It's because it's like you never know when to finish texting people. And so with group chats, there's always this this thing that I got to be looking at it. You know how I have like 500 messages I haven't read on my phone. I'm not gonna catch up on that. It's not fucking. uh, You know, I I, what do people catch up? It's not uh, uh, Breaking Bad. What? 
show. You know, people can't always catching up on shows just, if they missed it. You don't want to read our messages. It's fine. I don't. I'm sorry. I am sorry. I, I, I do want to read them. You look really disappointed. So this is what it said. Are you passionate about podcasts? We're looking for a yeah. digital video producer who understands the podcast industry, listens to all genres of pods. Mm. You got your true a- crime uh, and your comedy political. <laughs> That's it, actually. And has a proven track record building and producing a daily, weekly talk show that features the best podcasts available right now. That's my favorite. Who, Who's who doing could this? have a proven track record building and producing a daily, weekly talk show that features the best podcasts? We're not reporting what you just did, Young Chopsy. That's yeah. yeah. I don't have to do that. Um, but uh, who's doing this? Who's who's put up the list? I don't know. Some some something I saw. Uh, we got to get in on this. this some is, big this company. Is... Some big corporation. Because people haven't thought about that. Is that the podcast market's pretty full? But what if you did a video? <laughs> pivot to video from no podcasts. one's really considered that podcast <laughs> should should do the the video pivot. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're talking today. About one of our favorite subjects, scoliosis. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We are talking about Jeffrey Epstein and the Nexus. We are returning once again to the mines uh, because yes. there has been a new silver vein in the Comstock load of pedophilia. Ugh. Well, before we get into the big story with Epstein that came out last month, um, we should run down a couple things because, uh, you know, we have the Ghislaine Maxwell trial coming up. Mm-hmm. As it stands, it is set for July. Mm-hmm. That could change, but I kind of think it won't. I sort of I don't, think it's going to I feel like it's going to I feel like we're it's like going to happen. Cosmically, yeah. I think it's going to happen. And so a hot New York weird. summer where she's sweating through her blouse. Here's my question. COVID, will it be gone? Are we going to have an in-person trial? Do you think they're going to be, they're going to zoom her? I think they're, I think they're, I think they're, I don't know. I actually don't know. I think that they will zoom her just for interests of like, I don't know. I, I, I have, I, that's, I, I, I don't base that on anything. That's a spiritual truth I mm. have. They'll, they'll do it in zoom. But if they do it in person, I would, I would, I would absolutely love that. Well, it turns out that she got the COVID vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It. She got it back in January. Amazing. So while you're yeah, while your bean counting mother and your your coupon clipping father are slaving away at their uh, what jobs do people over six their Walmart greeter jobs, uh, you know the unvaccinated this woman she got the jab. Yeah, to be fair, it's because she's in a vulnerable population. Mm-hmm. And and, and, and they and, yes, well, it's true, and she's a pedophile in prison, which is one of the most vulnerable populations. And in fact, one of the most abused minority groups in America. Um, the, the short eyes, they call them, which is oh you know, not, not my thing. But, uh, but yeah, so she got it. And, and this was, I think she got it on like January 21st. So likely she's, uh, she's, she's getting her second shot soon. <laughs> Did it say which one she got? Uh, she got a cocktail of all three. No, no, it, I, I, I couldn't find. I could, because I, I was interested in that too, but I, I couldn't, Curious. I couldn't I figure out which Pfizer. one she got. Yeah, it, that sounds. It, that sounds like the fanciest one. It's the mRNA one, right? They're all mRNA except for Sputnik. No, and the Chinese the, one is. There's one more that's that's not mRNA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. no, there's a couple mRNA Chinese ones. But um, Sputnik's the one. That's the yeah. one to get. Yeah, it's that's the rarest. That's, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, it's I'm the willing most successful to pay. And we can't fucking get it. Any price under fifty dollars for it. Um, but yeah, no, she she got it. She's not, and because that was everyone's big prediction with with Ghislaine, is that she was going to die of COVID in prison because mm. you know they can't snap her neck too. But uh, I'm thinking for those who are, because I don't think that's going to happen. But for those who are holding out for that second shot, she could get sick. She could die from it. So. You know, yeah, you never know. She could exactly. have maybe she's got some fillers and, you know, get a little reaction going. Does that happen? They have said that there's a couple a couple people or not a couple people, but there has been reports that um like fillers are causing uh or like women that have fillers wait are getting a kind of like immuno or like a, you know, They're allergic all response basically to the to the vaccine, which kind of makes sense when you think about it. We are never getting back to normal. <laughs> because listen, the fact that women with fillers possibly can't get this vaccine or that it could harm them in any way because because 
again, another minority group who, you know, I, I focus on a lot in my Instagram searches and saved screenshots on my phone and stuff like that. I, I don't understand. So like, I, okay, maybe I get the vaccine. I can go out, I can go to the club, I can party all night, you know, I can do cocaine, ketamine, all that kind of stuff. If there's no women with fillers there, it's just me. And I can't be in a club alone. That's um, that's the new normal, baby. I hate this. I hate this. Women, I will take out your fillers, hold them in a bag, and put them back in after the vaccine is, is you know, whatever made you autistic or whatever, it, 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 in order to make things back back to normal. Anyways, next up, we got Epstein's estate being a little, uh, shall I say, Jewish. <laughs> Nah, I'm just fucking around. No, 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 no. I mean, they are a little bit, you know, but it's, it's, <laughs> so anyways, Epstein's got this giant estate, right? <laughs> you know, lots of money. He's a rich guy. You know, yeah, all his like, money goes up in there. What is it? Like a 580 million or something? A baby, estate? baby. 682 or something like that. Right. I don't know why I said that number, but I believe it's something like 682. Oh, no, six, 630 million. So... They've, the, the, the estate also set up sort of this fund, right? A victim's compensation fund. The fund, they say, is you know, operated independently of this estate, and it has to be replenished every so often, at least when it goes under a certain level. And so the fund has been paying out. I think they say, they claim it's paid out about $55 million so far. But now they have ceased those payments because they said, okay, well, we expect about 70 women to file claims, which... Who knows how they got that number? Uh, but apparently 150 women have filed claims, so twice mm. the amount. Uh, they, the state is, so again, like not all of that money, not all of that $630 million is in the victim's fund. A lot of that money is still in the estate, and it's paying for a shit ton of different lawyers. I think from around six different firms. It's also paying for aircraft detailing, for upkeep of the islands, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And they are having a Robin Hood-style liquidity crisis. <laughs> Yeah, actually, you know that he's got both of the islands up for sale right now and the Palm Beach property. Now, apparently, there was a potential buyer for the Palm Beach property. That's all caught up. But now they can't sell it because it's also part of the estate, which might need to be liquidated for victims funds, which that sounds totally backwards. Then you think you should be able to sell it. Apparently, it's it's a total nightmare. The same thing with the islands where there mm -hmm. are apparently a couple buyers interested in Little St. James and Big St. James. Who um, would buy that? I don't know. But allegedly, this is like what the Miami Herald was reporting, that uh, a couple buyers have actually signed, preemptively signed NDAs. I saw that. Because yeah, they, yeah. they might want to buy them. And it's like, you know, Chrissy Teigen? Okay. I'm wondering, like, it's probably, because you know how, like, if someone dies in a house... Like the realtor has to tell you, which I think is fake. I mean, I've actually never ever spoken to a realtor, so maybe it's not fake. But I feel like everyone's someone's died in every house, right? Like houses have been around forever, and so like do you, you you get it cheaper if it's like a pedophile house or it's like a murder house or something like that. I don't know, because if if you buy the island, you're gonna have fucking guys literally trying to go to that island like on yeah. their boats for the rest of your I life. Don't know. Yeah. Well, we'll get into why some people might want to buy that island that have nothing to do with. It's literally a boat right away from where you can, where, like the easiest place to hide millions and millions and billions of dollars. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> for tax purposes. Well, and like, of course, the island, you know, has a sundial where you can sacrifice people to, you know, both the sun and the hollow earth gods and stuff like that. But like, again, it, it, it I don't know how much it's going for. I read 20 million one place seems a little cheap, but private islands are always cheaper than you'd think. I've seen several viral posts about that. So back to the estate, the attorney general from the Virgin Islands is seeking to freeze all of the estate's assets because they're saying that actually not enough is getting paid out. Or not anything at all, really. Yeah. It's a little yeah. confusing. I know, because that's like a big discrepancy, whether the estate has paid out $55 million or whether it's barely paid out anything. Right. Um, I, I don't totally understand. It seems like a lot, of, like you said, most of the money seems to be going to lawyers and like upkeep. Mm -hmm. um, I think the Virgin Island, now, you know, we've talked about the Virgin Islands case against Epstein, and it seems to, to be 
like one of the strongest because it really does focus on the shell companies and the bank fraud, which we're going to yeah. get to a little bit later in the episode. Um, so it makes sense that they want to kind of freeze all these assets before they can claim they have nothing because they've paid out everything to yeah yeah you know, a bunch of lawyers and estate upkeep, et cetera. It- Exactly. And that, that the thing that I'm really interested in what will happen with the Virgin Islands case, because from what I understand, Epstein was pretty tied up with like some pretty prominent Virgin Islands families too, mm-hmm. uh, and politicians, families, stuff like Absolutely. that. I know he employed, I think the, 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 the previous governor's wife. Mm-hmm. And so I am, uh, yeah, I'm a little curious because Virgin Islands, not exactly the largest, uh, local government pool there. It is no. not the most populous, uh, place in the world. And so, I mean, again, like like Liz says, they have a pretty strong case, but we'll see what happens there. But they they are saying that there's there's essentially no money to pay out because all the money is tied up in assets. So a couple of new photos of Jeffrey came out. Did you see these? They're making the rounds on the internet. I did. I actually, I I did. I I got them the analog way, is and I bought a uh, National Enquirer at the at the Safeway mm. and. Uh, I think a Classic. few weeks ago. I think that's kind of where they debuted, and I took it home, and then I lost it. I, I don't think I even took it home. How'd I think I took it, it on the bus and lost it. I don't know. I didn't lose it at home. I lost it somewhere, but it's You're gone. The, that's the most important the bus? thing. Where are you taking the bus? Taking the bus to the Safeway. Anyways, they are some disturbing pictures, I would say. Yeah, it looks like it's him on, the, you know, there's a bunch of different ones, but they're, the big ones are, are the ones that really made people kind of, you know, raise an eyebrow. Uh, it's him on his plane with what appears to be a very small child in his lap. Um, a couple other ones of him <laughs> with what, like big bunny characters? What were the characters? It was the, what's the little pig man? Uh, it, he's like a pig. Piglet. It was Piglet? Yeah, he's got Piglet next to him. He's, Piglet is, I believe, his hand on Jeffrey Epstein's shoulder. Oh my God. That's I know, wrong. yet another tarnished celebrity. Yeah, so it's like him at Disney World or something with some kids, Piglet, some other characters, some other old men that their their faces are blurred. And what it sounds like is that it's actually the Dubin family mm-hmm. that we've you know we've talked about them a bunch on this podcast. And we're actually going to talk about them some more today. Yeah, yeah, Glenn and uh, Eva Dubin. Mm-hmm. And I believe they're daughters. They have a couple of daughters because Epstein's flight logs actually show him going apparently to uh, Palm Beach or from Palm Beach to Kissimmee, which is I don't like I, Florida towns. You know, these names, they give me the fucking cre- I'm sure, you know, actually, I, I feel like an asshole because maybe it's like a Native American name or something. Kissimmee, though, I don't like that. Mm. It's Kissimmee. Eh, I don't know. Anyways, uh, so... This is them probably at, at Disney World in 2004. And he's sort of like, you know, poking fun at, at, at the Dubin children. Made a little creepier by the fact that Dubin's parents were maybe going to marry them off to, or one of them off to uh, Jeffrey Epstein when they got older. Yeah. Yeah. Just not, you know what? Not a good look, Jeff. Yeah. Not a fan these of these photos. photos. Unsettling. Because there's really not a lot of pictures of Jeffrey. I mean, they're actually, like, there's a lot of pictures of Jeffrey with teenagers. But there's not a lot of pictures of Jeffrey with like really young kids, and I think that's what yeah. kind of makes it all the more fucked up. Especially knowing you know these people, his later history. I mean, his 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 history then with the Dubins, and his his later history with these these daughters too. It gives me the fucking willies. So like Glenn Dubin, we're talking about another guy who is both A, allegedly uh, probably a pedophile, and B, a power player in the world of finance. Uh, And C, which is actually not like Glenn Dubin because he looks like he's in pretty good shape, uh, porcine Mm -hmm. and large and looks like if you, in a cartoon, you put a straw in someone's mouth and you keep blowing it and blowing Mm -hmm. it until they kind of blow up and they float away. Yeah, talk Uh, about piglets. Exactly. Yeah, this guy makes Piglet Major look like Piglet. Chester Cheeto, Cheeto the man, the little the little uh, man Cheeto. who Chester sells you Cheetos. He's skinny. Yeah, he's thin. He's shaped like a Cheeto. Oh. Leon yeah, yeah. Black is not. Leon Black is huge. Yeah, he's a big boy. He's a big boy. He's a big boy and a big boy of finance. Mm-hmm. You like that? 
Yeah, he's the. I, I love it. He's actually kind of one of the. He's the biggest. One of the biggest boys of finance. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about him a couple times in the podcast. He's a major, major player in. I mean, private equity, investment banking, global capital. I mean, this is a fucking serious, serious dude. This is like if, someone that makes me nervous talking about. That's how serious this dude is. If this guy buys your company, you are getting restructured and fired. <laughs> Yeah, he um so yeah, we've talked about him before in case you guys don't know who like exactly or you're just jumping in. Leon Black, he is the billionaire co-founder of Apollo Global Management, which is um like a publicly traded like massive massive um global capital firm, investment banking, private equity. He it, the firm itself is worth around 350 billion. Hmm. People have I think Bloomberg is uh, who was they were estimating his personal wealth at somewhere around 10 billion. Um, a lot of it's money. It's safe to say that he is one of the most powerful men in the world. He owns Chuck E Cheese's. Yeah, like I said, he is one of the most powerful men in the world. Um also famously of course bought <laughs> Blackwater. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which that's, that's the thing. We'll get to this a little later, but Leon Black connects to quite a lot of the things that we've talked about on this show in, in a disparate number of subjects, but, but Apollo Global Management is a huge powerhouse company and Leon Black is it's, well, it's, it's chairman and he got in a little bit of trouble. Uh, when all, you know, remember, I mean, I'm sure that many of you do when a lot of the Epstein stuff started coming out, some of his closer acquaintances started getting a little bit scrutinized and Leon Black was one of those guys. Turns out that he was very close to one Monsieur Epstein. Yeah. We talked about this, uh, sometime last year it it came out in the New York times. And I think in October, there was a story that came out. Um, so reporters were investigating the Epstein's financials, they found a bunch of payments that Leon Black or, you know, that Apollo made to Epstein that were um, around 20, between like 25, 50 million they were looking yeah. at. Um, and it was, it was a pretty big story in, in the New York Times um, and caused quite an uproar in the financial financial world. Um that has now since been revised <laughs> because yes. what happened was following that New York Times investigation, Apollo hired um, this a law firm, Deckert. Is that, mm-hmm. is that how you say it? I, I've been pronouncing it in my head, Deschere. No. <laughs> because I nice. imagine, you know, it's, you know, pedophile, France, you know, they probably connect those two things. Yeah, they hired this this sort of I'm going to call them a white shoe law firm. I don't really know what a white shoe law firm you is. Do they wear white? Shoe? I love saying. I know that they're like Wall Street law firms. I assume this this probably has offices near Wall Street. Didn't really look into them. I mean, I looked into the company a little bit. Didn't look into where their office is located. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they hired him as they they hired them essentially to investigate whether whether Leon Black um well, had very close ties to Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not, you know, all these companies, this has been ongoing. You guys, I mean, we've talked about the one that MIT did, the one that Harvard did. Wexner. All these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Victoria's Secret, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these companies, they have to hire um, non-biased, impartial third parties to come investigate and release reports, especially when they're publicly traded, right? Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what happened. And didn't <laughs> they didn't come back with some good news. We'll say that. I, I, I'm a little confused about exactly how they conducted their investigation. So there is a report. The report does not have any like attached evidence to it. Mm. Like we can't really review what they reviewed. They said they spoke to about 20 individuals and they note some more than once, mm. uh, including Doing black their due diligence. Exactly. Like, Hey, listen, is there videos of this uh, guy having sex with children and he was having to pay Epstein to not release them? And if you said no, I mean, what can they do? But uh, but yeah, they uh, they they didn't subpoena anyone. They can't subpoena anybody. It's not like that. It's basically all like you talk to them if you want to talk to them. You hand over whatever papers. Which, by the way, I'm sure those papers have been gone over with a fucking very carefully by some maybe you know not third parties before that. Uh, and they came back with a uh, a something like a twenty page report. Yeah, they filed it with the SEC. Again, this is all because they're a publicly traded company. Um, so they got to file all this stuff. It, it, it 
details, well, the detail is kind of a strong word, but it details the social relationship that Epstein and Black had between basically what seems like the mid 90s and mm-hmm. up until 2018. Yes. <laughs> Which is quite a long time. Um, so this is from the report itself. It says Black was introduced to Epstein in the mid 1990s by a mutual friend. Following the introduction, they grew to know each other better and developed a personal relationship. While Black and Epstein discussed estate planning, philanthropy, and related issues over the years, Black did not engage Epstein to provide him with any services until 2012. Well, there's one thing that's a little weird about that because, I mean, maybe they're being very precise in their language here, but Epstein was on the board of the Leon Black Family Foundation, I think from like 2000... 11 or something like or mm. 2008 and he was taken off yeah, the board in 2013 and yeah, so yeah, yeah. so he this did engage is, him in that way well they're specifically talking about about the uh services that he contracted epstein to do which is what's mm-hmm. being disputed so initially black viewed epstein as someone who was very intelligent and knowledgeable regarding issues related to estate planning and taxation I've got some things to say about that in a second. Black also was impressed by Epstein's connection to many prominent figures in business, politics, and science. I love the idea that Leon Black like couldn't meet with people and Epstein had to introduce. He's like, <laughs> it's well, like one of the most Steven powerful Pinker? guys in the world. Exactly. I mean, this guy made. I mean, that's the that's the wild thing about this is that this guy makes Epstein look like a fucking twerp when it comes yeah. to money. Right. And so that's what that's what's really blowing my mind about this, because it's not like Leon Black couldn't have met Bill fucking Clinton if he wanted to. <laughs> he introduced Black to well-regarded researchers mm-hmm. at Harvard I'd University regarded. and the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Ding, ding, ding. Mm-hmm. And encouraged Black to donate to charitable causes that supported scientific development. In 1997, Black appointed Epstein as one of their initial directors of the Black Family Foundation, which was established for the purpose of facilitating contributions by Black and his family. Okay, blah, blah, blah. Black was further impressed when he learned that David Rockefeller had appointed Mm. Epstein as a director (laughs) to the board of of Rockefeller University. This appointment was consistent with Black's understanding that Epstein was extremely knowledgeable about science and technology, as well as strong proponent of scientific research and development. So we've like gone through this a bunch of times. The idea that, that Epstein was extremely knowledgeable about science and technology is, uh, fake. For Pinocchios. For Pinocchios to that Basically any firsthand, uh, you know, uh, sort of witness statements about Epstein talking about technology is literally him getting bored when anyone actually does talk about technology and then asking, you know, verbatim, what's this got to do with pussy? (laughs) Yeah. He just like kind of like fears off and makes like dick jokes. Like he's exactly. And Ghislaine does too. I mean, these, these, we don't, we're not exactly dealing with fucking brain trust here. And so I think this is trying to make black look like, you know, some sort of babe in the woods who meets this guy. who's Mm -hmm. like this fucking whiz kid and gets taken in by him. Right. That's kind of what everyone says is that like, Oh, I was charmed by this magnificent figure who seems, you know, well, pretty regarded himself. And like, you know, any actual, like, in-depth profile of Jeffrey Epstein, you're not left with the impression that you're dealing with a fucking, you know, unknown genius here. No. So it continues, Black compensated Epstein for his work in amounts that were intended to be proportional to the value provided by Epstein. All right. Those payments for work performed over the period 2012 to 2017 totaled $158 million. So that's much, much bigger than what the New York Times initial report was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, by by several orders. Sev- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's 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 what's so funny. It's like, oh, I guess I just forgot I paid him like an extra 100 and something million dollars. Yeah. Um, so in 2013, payments were memorialized and signed in unsigned agreements. After that point, payments were made on an ad hoc basis based on Black's perceived value of Epstein's work. Decker has seen no evidence suggesting that Black ever compensated Epstein for any service other than Epstein's legitimate advice on trust and estate planning, tax issues, issues relating to artwork, Black's Mm -hmm. airplane, Black's yacht, and other (laughs) similar matters, philanthropic issues, the operation of the family office, etc. Okay, so I want to pause on this for a second because this has come up a couple times, which is that Epstein was providing legitimate tax advice. Mm Mm-hmm. That he was um, 
that he was, you know, he provided a service that uh, no one else could, which seemed yeah, to be yeah. like WizKid financial tax accounting. Now, I want to be I, clear for a second. Epstein is not a certified CPA. He is not an accountant. Apollo Management is one of the largest global financial firms in the entire world, in the history of the world. The idea that they don't have a massive <laughs> accounting firm that is capable of shielding them from paying too much in taxes is ridiculous. The fact that the idea that Leon Black, one of the richest men in the men in the history of the world, doesn't have a robust tax team that doesn't include someone as unsavory and as a like personal liability as convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. Because remember, he is. This is after his conviction. This is post conviction, exactly. I mean, it, like, that, it's, the whole thing it's is absurd just on the face absurd. of it. Yeah, yeah and so absolutely. the question that then comes out is really like, okay, so what is Black paying Epstein for? Like, I don't believe. I, come on, that he's saving him. 158 million in tax liabilities he's, he's over the course. Him, they're saying of five he, they're years. saying he saved him a billion dollars, two billion dollars. Right. That's what's so, so wild to me because I mean, Black obviously has an army of accountants. You know, like yeah, he is not a man who who is lacking for resources in any single way. And of course, we know that there's basically zero evidence that Epstein ever did a day of work in his life. I mean, post Bear Stearns. So. You know, that leaves us with a, a few options of what Jeffrey Epstein might have been providing in the way of services to, to our to our man, Leon Black. Uh, of course, the one that immediately comes to mind, because remember, we're dealing with Jeffrey Epstein here, is that perhaps there are some incriminating uh, photographic or video evidence of Leon Black engaged in unsavory activities with very young people. I mean, obviously, you know, not to retread this, but, you know, Epstein in every fucking room and you know, all parts of his airplane and stuff like that, wired up with cameras, had a lot of rich people and a lot of very young people meeting in very close proximity. You know, you don't have to be a fucking, you know, Epstein level genius to come up with, you know, what you could do with that in terms of making a little bit of money. But there's, uh, you know, a, another sort of option, too, that I, I think is curious, and it could be a combination of both, is that Jeffrey Epstein it seemed to be pretty good at basically, like, moving people's money around yeah, and kind of doing what you might call a little light money laundering. <laughs> yeah. So this is from the Wall Street Journal. Mr. Black believed a witness... And witnesses generally agreed that Epstein provided advice that conferred more than one billion and as much as two billion or more in tax savings. So it also supports they, they continue. Excuse me. It also supports Mr. Black's contention that he paid Epstein a fee he believed was roughly equivalent to five percent of the value that the late financier generated on an after-tax basis. So that's you're right. A tax savings of one billion to over two billion dollars. Now that is fucking huge that's a lot of yeah. money and i want to you know we we were talking earlier about little saint james and the virgin islands right what do we mm. know about the virgin islands well they're very close to the british virgin Islands. yes you know what's what happens over in the british virgin islands well a lot of money gets sent over there and maybe disappears a little bit maybe gets moved from this account to that account maybe it gets handed off in a briefcase to somebody in a you know an office building with 800 fucking accounting firms listed in one office that kind of thing yeah yeah absolutely and in fact like you know again let's let's remember i don't know if you, do you remember the company liquid funding limited I do, I do, because <laughs> I, on this show, I, you know, I never really had to say the word liquid before we started doing this fucking show, and now I, I feel like I'm saying it every other fucking day. So but liquid, yeah, yeah pe for people who don't remember, Liquid Funding Limited was uh, one of the companies that Epstein was a chair of that was partially owned by Bear Stearns, and this was all revealed in the document dump called the Paradise Papers, which released a kind of you know, a bunch of tax filings from these, uh, the like cottage industry of, uh, you know, legal setups that just create and create and create shell companies, right? Yeah. And that, that just, you know, are tax shelters um, for a lot of people. So Liquid Funding Limited was incorporated in Bermuda uh, by Appleby Law Firm. The, you know, it's very likely that it was also, you know, as we've talked about, bailed out by the Fed in the 2008 yep. crisis, which is pretty funny. Um, so Epstein had a lot of uh, <laughs> great success in setting up shell companies, which is something to note. And I do want to mention, again, 
that Little St. James is really just a quick boat ride or a private jet plane ride, mm-hmm. you know. Or even a helicopter ride. Yeah, which, by the way, when you're chartering a private plane, you don't have to go through customs. I mean, I know it sounds ridiculous, but I'm talking about, like, briefcases full of money, you know? Like, you just watched The Wolf of Wall Street, didn't you? Didn't you I did, indeed. I did. I watched both Wolf of Wall Street and The Big Short. Oh, my God. You're just like Mr. Moneybanks over here. Sorry, you make $850 off of GameStop. You know, maybe it starts to go to your <laughs> but head But you remember a the bit. scene where they're strapping dollars going yeah. through customs, right? Well, you don't even have to do that when you're just hopping from one island to the next in, you know, in the Caribbean. Yeah, you know, a- absolutely. I mean, I mean, people, you know, again, this stuff might sound far-fetched to you. But like, you know, when we're talking about hedge funds and these the money on this level, what you're really talking about is organized crime, but legal, right? And so like these people, have, they, they do operate on a, a, what I would call a gangster basis. Mm. And absolutely, this stuff is not out of the question whatsoever. I mean, look, this guy is dealing with a convicted pedophile and known convicted pedophile. This isn't like, you know, you know, all those people who claimed, oh, I didn't know about the conviction and stuff like that. Leon Black knew through and through what he was dealing with here. His lawyers he dealt with at the company knew through and through what they were dealing with here. And they realized that it was worth the risk to pay him whatever they were paying him for whatever service he was providing. Yeah, and something that's even crazier too is that if Black and Apollo and Decker, whatever, it's all the same, they want to keep contending that that they were paying, that Black was paying Epstein for like legitimate, totally legitimate business services, then why did Black go to such a length to hide the payments? Yeah, yeah. So in 2017, a $22.5 million payment is made by a company called BV70 LLC. This is the one that says that it's a company that owns Leon Leon's yacht, right? He said mm-hmm. that this is one of the uh, legitimate services. It was a payment to Plan D, which is the air, which is a company that manages Epstein's Lolita Express. So you guys see there's all these different they set up these shell companies and corporations that move money across you know, their own assets, right? Yeah. So apparently a Deutsche Bank internal employee was asked about the payment and was told by another Deutsche Bank employee that it was a fee for a consulting service provided by the Southern Trust Company, which is another one of Epstein's Epstein's companies. Exactly, yeah. Absolutely no explanation for the payment. Um, There's also reports that, you know, BV70, which by the way, BV sounds a lot like British Virgin Islands. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they made a $10 million donation to some Epstein foundation called Gratitude America. Epstein was also setting up, I mean, that's the other thing. He's always setting up God. charities. Mutual aid. He was doing a lot of mutual aid. <laughs> so much mutual aid. And I mean, uh, remember, I mean, again, like this is a, probably no secret to anybody who listens to this podcast, but all rich person charities, bar none, are a way to avoid taxes or to move money around or to lie and cheat and steal. You know, it's, it's not, this is these Epstein was not exactly the charitable type, right? I mean, the man was a tyrant, Leon black, same fucking thing. And so whenever you hear about charities, these guys imagine they're just like more shell companies. Yeah. Except Leon Black's Leon Black's charities, I looked through all of their like filings. I think only you can't get any before 2011. But 2011, all that they donated was uh, 500 thousand to the Tony Blair Faith Foundation, and then they start <laughs> bumping it up in later years and adding the Clinton Global Initiative. Of course, lovely causes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to say too that um, uh, Eve Smith over at Naked Capitalism did some work looking in on this, and uh, she had some some interesting things to say. I'm just going to read a little bit from her. She says, let's be charitable and use use Black's maximum applicable tax rate. A marginal tax rate of about 50%, that would be the maximum, for federal New York State and New York City income taxes. That means the amount of Leon Black personal income subject to Epstein's wizardry. Again, charitably assuming he managed to find a way to bring Black's taxes from 50% to zero would be double the savings. So two to four billion dollars we're talking about. Uh, personal income that Apollo or that, you know, that Leon Black was reporting. Now, what's confusing is that where is that income coming from? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Because that level of income coming from a public company like Apollo would have to be reported on a 10K on his public filing, right? 
And at that point, when that that kind of money gets reported publicly, it's really going to be it's going to be really fucking difficult to to fuss around with, to do any kind of accounting with. Right. So, I, I mean, it's just very, very clear. I mean, it's there's absolutely no possible way I'm saying there is no possible way that what Epstein was doing was fussing around with taxes. There's just absolutely no way. not. No, Epstein is not sitting there with his little fucking pince-nez on in a library, you know, in on a fucking oak desk going through Leon Black's tax filings in order to, you know, shave off a few dollars here, a few dollars there. I mean, the, 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 it's a ridiculous on the face of it. And that proves that this report, I mean, you know, that makes me think rather that this report is, I mean, of course it's a total fucking setup job, right? I mean, Leon Black is not going to hire somebody. He's not going to hire Trunon to look through his fucking <laughs> records with Jeffrey Epstein and his messages back and forth and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I, I, I mean, the whole thing's a put on, right? Like we still don't know and we probably won't know at least until you know maybe i get my hands on the guy exactly what he was paying for yeah well what's happened now is that he said he's stepping down as ceo but he's going to remain as chairman of the board which is like this is all bullshit anyway exactly so they're just it's like the wexner shuffle right you know and and that's the thing it's that's the thing is it really looks like you know wexner was epstein's benefactor for quite a long time and then when a fee dispute just like what happened with leon black you know arises and i think it was like around 2008 we got you know epstein's not taking in a lot of money between 2008 and 2012 all of a sudden black steps in in 2012 and starts bankrolling the guy yeah and so, you know, there is a bit of a handoff there from, you know, it's, it's a patronage system. Uh, the question is, of course, what services were the patrons perceived? So Leon Black, again, the guy is a total fucking crook, but he's not just a crook. He's a crook on Wall Street. And as we talked about in the last episode with the day with Aaron Good, Wall Street is kind of inseparable from another thing that we like to talk about on this show, which is uh, less than savory characters in our nation's history who might have had an outsized role or at least some role in, in you know pushing things around, maybe doing a little 9-11, maybe doing a white helmet, stuff like that. So one of the guys who was on this thing that was a, an accountability board over there at, at Apollo uh, was a guy named Buzzy Krongard. <laughs> you might remember him from, I can't remember which one, but one of the 9-11 episodes we did with Ben. Uh, he was the former executive director of the CIA, but not just that. He was the head of the investment arm at a little investment firm called Alex Brown, which was part of Deutsche Bank at the time. This was in the late 90s. Uh, he huge, basically what happened, and the reason that a lot of people know this guy's name, is a huge amount of put options were put onto two airline stocks, United and American. <sighs> that was on 9-11. <laughs> they purchased 95% of the put options on those two stocks. Uh, by the way, which is funny, you know, when I, was, when I was sort of reading up on this again, Snopes says that this is false, that there's any sort of insider trading going on uh, in regards to 9-11 and, and these airline stocks, because Alex Brown are an investment firm with no conceivable links to the hijackers. I can think of one conceivable link to the hijackers. <laughs> Anyways, you know, that's uh, he becomes executive director of the CIA. He is recruited personally by another 9-11 hero, George Tenet. And he joins, in fact, this connects him to another thing, uh, the episode recently, episode we just had. He joined the Blackwater board two months before the big Blackwater hearings in Congress started. Uh, his brother, Howard Cookie Krongard, was, I, I believe, the inspector general at the, at, the, at the State Department and actually had to leave his job because he was telling people not to investigate Blackwater and he was helping cover up uh, forced labor trafficking in Kuwait. That is his brother, Cookie. So we've got Cookie and Buzzy Krongard. Can we Only pause Buzzies. for a second? I, I understand what you're about to say here. What's up with that? Well, as Cookie's... Cookie Cookie makes very clear. I, I thought Cookie I, by the was way, a lady name. That's I a called name. Cookie a couple days ago. You did? 
I, yeah, I did not get an answer, um, but I did call. I just wanted to see if the number worked. Hmm. Um, you can get it, you know. It's just, it's not hard. I won't say it or anything like that, okay. but you know. But I'm just, not... I just mean, Cookie is a girl's name. Yeah, yeah, Cookie is a girl's name. Cookie is not only a girl's name. Cookie is a girl that might you might meet at like the Gold Club's name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Buzzy, I though that's a classic American Nazi name. Yeah. Like that's like fifties, like real, uh, you know, shaved side, fucking buzz cut Marine mm. guy name. Uh, and these guys love doing nine eleven, but th- that's not all about this guy. He's not just on the board of Blackwater, and of course, he, he's actually put on the board of Blackwater in September. I think the hearings start in November, so obviously, you know, this has something to do with it. Uh, in in two thousand five, he actually joined the board of D L A Piper which is one of the biggest international law firms. Uh, it's, it's a law firm that also has a lot of curious connections. Obviously, it's a big law firm, so you know I'm sure a lot of people work there. But specifically, a couple of guys work there that are a little germane to the conversation. One of those is Jose Maria Aznar, uh, the former prime minister of Spain, who Virginia Jeffrey accused, uh, not by name, but basically any any read of the evidence would show us this guy of of allegedly raping her and uh it's also where george mitchell uh is a chair george mitchell of course uh is is referenced by virginia jeffrey said when she said her body was put on a banquet for him uh and 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 i believe stephen pinker was the other person she's referencing uh sort of in that uh part of her testimony uh it also employed a until like i think a couple months ago a little guy named doug emhoff who is um oh my gosh the first uh uh guy to be in the ladies job at the white house it what are they calling him second gentleman Oof. second gentleman god doug emoff works there huh yeah yeah it's kind of weird when you see places like this and you just see them it's like the gang's all here exactly you know? it's real creepy real real creepy well the gang actually continues to roll through the saloon doors because Apollo owns, like we mentioned, Blackwater. Well, they own what Blackwater became. I mean, Blackwater is still Constellus, technically around. I right? think it's just a, yeah, Constellus. Uh, and 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 through that, they own something called the Olive Group. Olive Group is let's just say it's in a similar industry to Constellus and Blackwater and you know Triple Canopy and all these things. And that until I think about two thousand seven, employed a guy named James Lemusier. James Lemusier was referenced in our last episode we did with Aaron Good when I was talking about the guy who was thrown out of a third-story window in, I believe, Istanbul, uh, and and you know was so sad, committed suicide. Of course, uh, he is a British gentleman who started the White Helmets, mm. who, which is a totally normal organization. That's it's just like any McDonald's franchise or anything like that. I don't know why. It's as American as McDonald's, I'll tell you that. (laughs) Yes, it is. And they, you know, they won an Oscar, you know, it's a good group. Uh, And so, (laughs) of course, like we mentioned, he also owns Blackwater and and Blackwater, you know, I mean, Eric Prince isn't, of course, at what Constellus, Blackwater is now Constellus, but uh, that is another guy who likes setting up quite a lot of shell companies. And I would be remiss without mentioning this because I really, really dig this, is that Leon Black's father, Eli Black, got his start at fucking Lehman Brothers, then of course later owned what had been the United Fruit Company. And I think he merged it with, I can't remember the company he merged it with, but it became United Brands. And he jumped out of his like high-rise office building after getting caught bribing Oswaldo Oswaldo Lopez Arellano, who was the Honduran president with $1.25 million. Of course, we all know the story with fucking United Fruit Company. I mean, you know, massacres, slavery, plantation, disrupting, not the social, political, and, and, and like any kind of fabric you had in South America, Central America, they disrupt it. They'll take your kid out front and fucking shoot him in front of you. I mean, it's whole, one of the most horrible companies in the world. Makes East India Company, well, no, it's kind of just exactly like the East India Company. And Leon Black himself got his start at Drexel which was, of course, founded by a guy named Francis Drexel, his son. Anthony Drexel really took it to new heights, later became J.P. Morgan, which, you know, we all know about J.P. Morgan here. Uh, but something I thought was really interesting and really isn't germane to any of this, but I thought was kind of a fun fact, is that uh, Anthony Drexel's niece was literally a canonized saint by the Catholic Church. Um mm. 
But anyways, Leon Black got a lot of strange connections. And by strange connections, I mean the guy is fucking spooked up to the gills. So there's one last kind of fun, random thing I want to mention, because I don't know what got me on this, but I was like on Twitter the other day, just refreshing the little feed, checking out the news. Big mistake. It's the end of the day, and this this news item pops up that the CEO of the Robin Hood Foundation is stepping down. Now, I don't want to confuse anyone. We're not talking Robin Hood, the app that we talked about last week. This is so the charity. This is- this has nothing to do with investing. Uh, well, <laughs> unclear there, but it is certainly not the app. The Robin Hood Foundation is a is a big, very very big, famous uh, New York society charity. Um, ah. This is like really, really the big wigs. This is all the hedge fund guys um, are big dealers in the Robin Hood Foundation. And I remember I was reading this and said, you know, Wes Moore, who's the CEO is to step down. And I was like, Robin Hood, that sounds so familiar. I know that I've read something in conjunct, like in connection with Epstein and I was looking at it. Of course, you know who's the co-founder of Robin Hood Foundation? That would be Glenn Dubin. Glenn Dubin, yes, whose kids were photographed on Jeffrey Epstein's lap. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I was like, wait a second. And I've asked a couple of quote-unquote journalists about this. I've yet to hear back. If any of you are listening, look into this. I have some questions. And I was like, huh, I wonder if him stepping down, the CEO stepping down, has anything to do with Leon Black. Because Robin Hood actually partnered with the, like, Leon Black and his fucking wife. What's her name? I can't remember. Deborah. She produced the play Jersey Boys. She won a Tony for it. Oh, my God. Her fucking Tony award-winning wife. (laughs) I also didn't mention this earlier, but Leon Black owns the painting The Scream. God, what an asshole. That is like real asshole level, owning yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah. Well, it's there's four of them. Yeah. Just buy a fucking poster on Redbubble like everyone else. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Anyway. So uh, they partnered with they partnered with Robin Hood last year. Uh, they were they were like funding. They're basically like totally funding the New York City like COVID relief effort. Yeah, it was yeah. something like thirty million dollars. It was a huge investment, or it's not an investment. Excuse me, it's charity. <laughs> it was a big charity donation that the Blacks made alongside Robin Hood, and so you know it would make sense that with all this news about Leon stepping down, with a bunch of scrutiny going into Apollo's funds and where and their different transactions, that someone with those kind of connections would maybe want to get out of the you know get out of the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like a pretty big deal, you know this this um, this charity. Uh, under Westmore's tenure, they raised over two hundred and thirty million just last year, and in total, in his four years, in excess of six hundred and fifty million. That's Jesus a Christ. fucking lot of money. And yeah. the major, major hedge fund guys are all like, "This is really where they pour their money because it goes into like poverty efforts in New York City, and so it makes them feel like they're giving back um, to their, you know, like in their backyard where they came up, whatever." There's like a whole plot line on billions about this, which. If anyone watches that show, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, anyway, so I just got to go through a little wormhole that I went into because this is like fucking weird. And I was yeah, like, Liz, Liz did have a mental breakdown about this yesterday. I can attest. It, it's super weird, man. So I was like, who the fuck is this guy who's the CEO? Right. Because that's what I want to know. Wes Moore. I look yeah. at his face, his face, very smooth. Oh, yeah. The man looks like an egg. Absolutely. Incredibly smooth. I mean, unblemished. Just, completely unblemished which is very strange because he has Billers. a very decorated military career very strange but Indeed anyway he does he uh is new york times best-selling author twice now Good for I, him. i'll be on hold on i feel like that's not that hard because your you know, publisher just gets people either. to yeah because your publisher just has someone buy a, like a million copies of the books yeah, yeah, yeah. it pumps it up like anybody who writes a book, if your if your book isn't a New York Times bestselling book, then you're getting ripped off by the publisher. Yeah, I think that's a good call. So 
I'm just going to read a little bit from his bio and we'll just walk through how I kind of like slowly drove myself crazy yesterday. Uh, before becoming CEO at Robinhood, Wes was the founder and CEO of Bridge EDU, an innovative tech platform addressing the college complete, completion and job placement crisis. Now that should set off some alarms. <laughs> uh, he was at Deutsche Bank and Citigroup from 2007 to 2012. Okay, so I'm like, that's a little weird. So great. Yeah, neither of those have any weird connections whatsoever. Yeah, but okay, whatever. A lot of people go into investment banking, right? Yeah. It's just all the banks are shitty. Practically all the guys I know do shitty. Okay. So it turns out he was a Rhodes Scholar in 2000. You know who else was a Rhodes Scholar, right? Cecil Rhodes, the guy who invented Rhodesia. No, Mayor Pete. Mayor Pete was a Rhodes Scholar. Yes. All right, so get this. So named a Rhodes Scholar in 2000. He studied at Oxford. Then he went to London to work for Deutsche Bank. Before that, serving 10 months with the Army's 82nd Airborne Division in Afghanistan. There, and this is from his official bio, okay? So this guy's just putting it out there. There he helped revise a program to win over Taliban fighters, (laughs) boosting its enrollment from six when he arrived to 500 by the time he left. a lot of guys. Uh, Revise a program to win over Taliban fighters. Very interesting. So I'm like, huh, let me see if I can find out any more information about this. Because Also, I, I will say, what is that's, that? <laughs> that's very, uh, considering the Taliban's uh, political and military position in Afghanistan at this moment, seems like maybe that promotion was a little bit unwarranted. So guess where he went after that? A White what? House fellow at the State Department as a special assistant to Condoleezza Rice. Very cool. Very cool. Love Condi. He studied international relations and economics at Johns Hopkins. Now, I just want to say one thing. If you know anyone who has studied both international relations and economics, stay Cut away. Cut them out of your life. Yeah. Also, dangerous, uh, dangerous motherfuckers. If they're combining that with either Chinese or Arabic, citizens arrest them. Well, okay. So this guy, I just want to, this is like, I was reading this and I sent this to you and you didn't fucking believe me. You're like, what are you getting this? This can't be real. So this is from an interview he did with C-SPAN. I don't know. Uh, He says, well, actually, I interned with the Department of Homeland Security. (laughs) And when I was there, it was actually the Office of Homeland Security. In 2001, pretty much a couple of months after the attack, uh, talking about 9-11, when Governor Ridge was first brought in by President Bush to be the first director of Homeland Security, he wanted to look at some asymmetric threats and not just, you know, what we know about the things, what we might not know. I was doing research at the time at Oxford. Now, remember, this is his PhD that he's doing. But I had pretty much started even before the attacks on the rise and ramifications of radical Islam in the Western Mm. Hemisphere, where I specifically focused on Hezbollah. Yeah. Sorry, it's hard not to laugh. On Hezbollah, Hamas, and Al-Qaeda, and the operations that they were doing in South America, the Caribbean, and in Canada. So reading between the lines there, anybody who has followed the saga of the State Department getting fucking just just so oiled and worked up over Hezbollah in South America, they're always talking about this supposed giant network of Hezbollah operatives coming out of Venezuela. And so that, I'm sure they had him ginning up some bullshit there where he's like, oh, yeah, Hezbollah is, you know, creating some missile base and fucking, you know, some bringing a nuke to Caracas or something like that. I mean, this guy, if you're doing this kind of research, I mean, you're a real fucking creep. So he's at Oxford. He's studying Hezbollah's reach in South America, which is like the spookiest thing after, by the way, after studying international relations and economics at Johns Hopkins. I mean, these, that's like, you know, you want to get a job with the, in the ruling class. That's what you study. Right. Yeah. yeah, So he takes a break from that because he, Here's the call of duty as he interns at DHS. Then mm-hmm. he finishes at Oxford and he says, immediately after that, I start doing investment banking. Naturally. And this guy, a living dialectic, <laughs> master dialectician. He's bringing together everything. The big reason why I wanted to do investment banking was because I knew the importance of understanding the global financial markets in terms of understanding policy. I knew that I wanted to focus on policy and I wanted to, you know, long term make real, you know, substantial changes in the public policy arena. But I also knew also you have to understand, you have to understand budgets, you have to understand global markets, you have to understand international business. I mean, it's all just, you know, total bullshit. 
So he's working for Deutsche Bank. He says they are fantastic, fantastic mm-hmm. place. Really what a model company has. So I've heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> really. Funny brilliant. enough, he's now removed that he worked at Deutsche from his LinkedIn. But I'm sure that has nothing to do with their recent scandals. Um, but he couldn't stop praising them in this interview. So I, I just want to say that I was very confused about what he was doing in Afghanistan. I, I did an, another little look at what, uh, you know, this program, this this kind of like, you know, he says he's trying to win over Taliban. Um, like Evan McMullen. Yeah. So he's he was deployed to the border. He says he was right on the border between Pakistan and Afghanistan. You guys, I can't make this up. This is so crazy. He's on the border of Pakistan and Afghanistan where he says he worked. He worked very closely with PSYOPs mm. to develop yeah, education camps for ex-terrorists to welcome them yeah. back into the Afghani government. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure they were thrilled. That's like anybody who sort of knows the history of, of what, what what goes on in Afghanistan is the border region. I mean, especially over the border in Pakistan. That is that is the kind of place you want to go to if you are uh, working for the CIA. And, yeah. uh, you know, obviously there, there's troops there as well. But any, any sort of... I mean, there are basically... <laughs> I cannot stress enough how much of either a failure or possibly a real success these operations probably were. So as you can imagine, I'm sort of like slowly losing my mind a little bit as I'm reading this, this piece on Bloomberg about this guy, the biggest uh, fucking, I mean, the biggest, biggest charity in New York City for, for, uh, you know, ruling class money. I mean, this, this thing is fucking huge. Their annual fundraisers have like Pharrell and Beyonce, you know, they've, they're, they're fundraising hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and so I'm reading this thing and it ends with, uh, you know, thanks to Westmore's transformational leadership, Robin Hood is at the strongest point in our 30 year history, said Robin Hood's co-founder and board member, Paul Tudor Jones. Again, co-founder, the title he shares with one, Glenn Dubin. Mm-hmm. Robin Hood has convened a search committee headed by board vice chair, Dina Powell McCormick including Paul Tudor Jones, board chair John Griffin, and board members Jeffrey Canada and Mary Erdos. Now, and I was like, Mary Erdos, where is that name? Now, I know that name, right? Now, that is one of the higher-ups at J.P. Morgan Chase. Classic. Then I remembered a little piece in the New York Times that came out right when Epstein was arrested back in July of 2019, when it came out that J.P. Morgan Chase continued to work with Epstein after his arrest. This is from the New York Times. When compliance officers at J.P. Morgan Chase conducted a sweep of their wealthy clients a decade ago, they recommended that the bank cut its ties to the financier Jeffrey E. Epstein because his accounts posed unacceptable legal and reputational risks. Yet Mr. Epstein who has been charged with sex crimes and pleaded guilty in 2008 to solicitation of prostitution, remained a J.P. Morgan client until 2013. The main reason, according to six former senior executives and other bank employees Mm. familiar (laughs) with the matter, was that Mary C. Erdos, one of J.P. Morgan's highest-ranking executives, intervened to keep him as a client. Part of her rationale was that Mr. Epstein played a lucrative role recruiting new customers to J.P. Morgan's private banking division, which caters to ultra-wealthy people and families. That made him an especially coveted client. I mean, Christ, all this stuff is just a series of concentric circles linked together like the Olympic rings. (laughs) The gang's all here, baby. In every way, in everything we look at, the gang is always here. It's like Cheers, but with pedophiles. Yeah. So as usual, we got hedge fund mania here on (laughs) True and On. We can't stop talking about hedge funds. I just love a good uh, thing that either makes or loses money. Mm. And sometimes both. Yeah. Which is called a hedge. Mm-hmm. This is real businessman shit, yeah. right? It's good. I don't... Can we sell to one of these? What? Sell what? Like, could a hedge fund buy us? 
Yeah, sure. They could buy whatever they want. They got all the That's money incredible. in the world, baby. Yeah, I still don't I still don't really get what these people do, but it seems like they do a lot of it. Did you watch Richard Jewell? Haven't watched Richard Jewell. Oh Are we God. doing Jewel Watch? Yeah, so I I told Brace this yesterday, but I want everyone on the podcast to know because we're gonna now be checking in every episode to see if Brace has watched Richard Jewell and we're calling this Jewel Watch. So this is now Jewel Watch twenty twenty one. Grace, have you watched Richard Jewell? I have not watched Richard Jewell. All right. Well, this has been Jewell Watch. My name is Lynn Wood. <laughs> Brace Belden. I'm Liz. The music today is by Unknown Mortal Orchestra. We are, of course, joined by our producer, Young Chomsky. And this, my friends, has been True and On. We will see you next time. Bye bye. Jeffrey Epstein.